Welcome to Better You Live, an HCI podcast dedicated to giving you the tools, motivation, and inspiration you need to take things to the next level in your career and in life. Now, coming to you live from HCI's Main Street studio in downtown Cincinnati, here is your host, Alan Mellish. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Human Capital Institute's Better You Live. I'm Alan Mellish, and I am your host. I swear I've done this before. This is the HCI podcast where we give you tools, motivation, and wisdom to succeed in work and in life. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that uh, you got to rate and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. If you've got a comment on Twitter, you can use the hashtag HCI Live. Today's episode is brought to you by HCI's 2019 Strategic Talent Acquisition Conference. If you'll join us in Denver from the 10th through the 12th of June, you'll learn about how to beat the talent crunch. Learn more at staconference.com. My guest today is an author, an educator, and founder and CEO of In the Boat. Pat Bowden started his career over 30 years ago as a certified public accountant. After a few years of help helping businesses make strategic decisions through and thrive through members, he, uh, he shifted his efforts into the burgeoning field of opening compu- open computing. His distinguished career included renowned organizations, Lockheed Martin, Turner Broadcasting, and Cisco Systems. In 2003, Pat founded the upstart technology training company, Firefly. Under Pat's leadership, Firefly would span the globe operating in 82 countries, six continents, and 22 languages. So in case you guys are keeping track at home, the only continent that wasn't mentioned was Antarctica. So, you know, (laughs) Pat wasn't able to break into the Antarctic market, unfortunately. So Firefly's wildly successful rise was acknowledged with Cisco's Global Learning Partner of the Year Award for 2012. Since then, Pat's interest has been in business relevance and continuous improvement. He delves deeply into this topics in his international bestseller, Get in the Boat, A Journey to Relevance. Pat, welcome to Better You. Thanks, Alan. Good to be here. Excellent. So let's get started. Uh, let's talk first about why it matters for a function like HR to develop a deeper understanding of the business they support. Well, where this started, Alan, was I read a book by a guy named Patrick Lencioni, and the book was The the Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And what I found is is initially in in technology and IT, but I found this to be in all the, most of the support such as human capital and HR, is that a lot of the people that work in those organizations are unfulfilled. And that's one of the things Lencioni talks about in his book. And so it's the connection of connecting the purpose of what the organization is doing to what we do. And when we do that, we feel, we feel fulfilled. And I think that's part of the issue. And I, I walk out, this was in a very large organization this, this week in North Carolina. And most of those people, whether they were in HR or whether they were in IT, are not as fulfilled as they, they, as they could be. And I think that's really my passion is to give people the opportunity to be successful. And, uh, and I think that it helps HR in two ways. One, it helps them, the people that work within human resources to, to, to feel confident and fulfilled in their job. But it also allows them to do their job by making sure the people that work with the organization are also fulfilled. 
So ultimately, that's what organizational relevance is about. How do you connect the dots between what you do and the organizational's purpose and make sure that the core functions, uh, depending on the organization, sales, marketing, uh, production operations, those folks are taken care of and, and we're aligned. I think the biggest challenge we have today, Alan, is there's so much misalignment and in the, in the, especially mid-sized to large organizations where there's a disconnect between what the business needs and what we as a support organization are providing. And I think there's a great opportunity for us to solve that problem. That's interesting. And, <clears throat> and I would imagine too that it's, uh, if you, there's a lot of stratification and silos that are, uh, you know, this is just what, uh, this is what HR is in charge of, and this is what the business is in charge of. But uh, when they get, uh, when they grow beyond that small size that you left off there, it's much harder to have productive conversations with the core functions, like, as you mentioned, sales, operations, production, all of that, depending on the nature of the business. I think what has happened in the, for the sake, so most of these support functions were part of the core functions historically, including human resources. So the HR would have been in the production or the operations or the engineering organization. What happened for the sake of efficiency in HR, IT and others, they centralized those functions. There is benefits in that. We can actually have a lot more professional organization within HR. There's, there's, there's benefits. The challenge with that is centralization often drives to isolation. Mm-hmm. And what happens is these larger solid organizations, they become isolated from the people that they actually support. And there becomes a disconnect. There's a psychological principle on this called the proximity principle. And the people you hang around, you're going to be more like. And I think the biggest challenge we have is if we don't only hang around people who are within HR, we're going to only act around the, like the people we're in HR. We mm-hmm. have to get out of the get out of our silo and get to the people that we support and spend time with them and understand their needs. I think that's the most important thing to say here so far. Yeah, yeah, and I think the and that is sometimes a uh, it's it's really hard to implement these kinds of things. Otherwise, everybody would do them, but. Uh, they, there are some organizations that have had, uh, you know, okay, you're in human resources. That's what you're going to be doing. That's what you're probably going to be doing for most of your time here. But we are going to have you do a three-month rotation with, you know, the sales function that you support so that you're actually making calls or sitting next to somebody and helping them uh, enter data, keep the uh, CRM system up to date, or all of these challenges that are part of their job and then in you know the theory is and uh that that you get you get empathy you start to understand their language you understand their concerns therefore you're better equipped to serve them as a real partner rather than a you know a bureaucracy that is kind of is sometimes in the way sometimes not but kind of a impersonal force in their work and life Right. And, I, and I think that is the issue. You think about the two support organizations that are um, uh, by that are disliked the most by the core. It yeah. is HR and IT. And I think right. the reason why is HR and IT are the, are important 
and they are impactful into the core people's but they're often, like you said, unfortunately, just there's not a personal connection. And the other thing is there's often not, a, not an understanding of the process of that core function. So yeah, I cannot tell you, I had a, this, literally this week with a large IT organization, mm-hmm. I asked them to walk me through the process of their, uh, of their essentially their sales motion. And, and, and they could not even start. And these guys are the ones that support the systems and applications. I think that's the if we don't understand the business processes that drive the organizations we're in, how do we plug in? Because we're going to be disconnected from the core. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And just for clarity, I, I think it's pretty obvious what you mean, but what do you mean by the core functions versus the support functions, just so that we're clear? So, so I like to think of, um, so I have a, a slide deck, but I, uh, one of the slides is about reflection. And so reflection is really about where do I sit and what's expected from me or my organization in, in, a, in a company. And I think that, that that viewpoint, that perspective is really important. So in any organization, the core, the, the, the center of this concentric circle is the customer. So if you're in healthcare, it's the patient. If you're in, you know, uh, automotive, it's the guys, the people that buy your cars, right? It's the customer. There are organizations and functions that surround those customers and they're driven by those customers. Those are the core functions. So what are the functions that work directly with our customers? And the job is to do that. So examples, sales, customer service, clinical uh, in a healthcare example, any of the people that their job is to work effectively and directly with the customers of the organization we're in, that's core. Support functions are the ones driven by the core functions. So our job is to support those core functions to be able to impact the customer experience that our organization is trying to have with them. So that's why examples, HR, supply chain, facilities, IT, these organizations that are critically important for organization to be effective if we don't have a great HR organization, we're going to have employee satisfaction issues. We're going to have issues with we can't we can't provide or retain talent, and therefore those are the talent and production staff we need to actually fulfill the needs of the customer. So HR is critical, and it's important. I was just at a session with the CEOs in North Carolina. Well, it was really interesting there. The two major problems these guys had were both HR issues. Hmm. Of all the issues they had, the two were HR. One was, and this is prolific, I think, out there, is toxic leadership. So there's a challenge where we have a core leader, core function leader, that's needed, but the way they manage is toxic. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. It happens a lot. There's, you know the functions. An example would be cells, but there's other functions where this happens. The other issue we had was employee turnover. And the, the average turnover in those organizations, and, and yes, when you have a low unemployment, you're gonna have a little bit more turnover, but the average was 72%. There are big companies right now experiencing, that are not in retail or fast food, that right. are experiencing north of 40, 50, 60% employee turnover. That, that is not sustainable. And so we need the human resources staff to be able to work effectively with the core functions to be able to provide the talent required for the organization to be successful with the customer. 
And I think that's the, the challenge. How do we directly align that? And I think sometimes we're not correctly aligned. And I think that when that misalignment happens, we're not working as a team. I think that's the most important thing. Um, the, the core functions need to perceive HR, the leadership and the, and the members of the HR team as a member of the actual team. Mm-hmm. I don't think in most organizations, I don't believe that's per- the perception. I know it's not the perception for IT on average. <laughs> and I know it's not the perception for HR on average. If we yeah. work effectively as a team, it would change the game. And we would be able to bring our skills to bear and be able to help and support these organizations, these core functions that drive our business. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I think too, um, because we do have a lot of HR folks in our audience, one of the things they should understand is that um, it's it's also not even, uh, it's not even also, like the fault is not all on the business's side. A lot of it is on HR being a bad messenger. Like they want to hear how to stop the turnover challenges that they're having. But if they can't understand you when you talk about it, or if you can't communicate solutions in an effect in a way that they can understand or uh, easily connect the dots to their other challenges, then it's going to be much harder to get traction. So that kind of brings me to my next, uh, the next phase of this conversation, I guess. In your book, you talk a lot about relevance. Um, so let's, and you talked about it a little already, but what is the, what is the definition of relevance that you are using when you talk about it? So my book is called Get in the Boat, A Journey to Relevance. And the, so the reason I call it a journey is because it doesn't happen overnight. Relevance is the ability. So, so in that book, The Three Signs of a Miserable Job, by mm-hmm. Lindsay, he talks about the three things that make us um, uh, not miserable. So remember, my whole goal is like fulfillment. I want people to be fulfilled. Yeah. How did they not be, how, how does that happen? His three, three signs were, and by the way, so these would be the negative because they're signs of a miserable job. One is anonymity. You must know the people you work with, you're going to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. The second one is, it's not a word, but you guys will get it, immeasurability. You must be able to measure what you do on a daily or weekly basis, a few things that really matter, or you're going to be unhappy. Yeah. I think that's. I think a lot of times we think the organization needs to measure the individual. No, the individual needs to measure themselves for, so they'll feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Last one was irrelevance. And so relevance is not, because, we do not gain relevance because of what the things we do. We gain relevance by the impact we have on other human beings. And I think that's, and that's what Lencioni would say, and I would agree with that. So our challenge is, we, we, I think everybody in the organization, but definitely the support functions like human, human capital, human resources, we have to have a positive impact on the organizations we're working on, the people in the organization we're working, working with. And so we, when we do that, they see us differently than they historically have seen us. And therefore they view us as part of the team. They start to trust us mm-hmm. and they start to think, wow, this, these guys are not just people that are over there. They're the other. Now they're part of us. Mm-hmm. So really going from the other to us. When you've made that transition, you've actually become relevant. And I, I think it's when you just said language was really important, the last principle of the, I have seven principles of relevance. 
last one is enhanced communications. Mm-hmm. And so enable, so eleva- elevating your communications. One of the issues we have is just the simple language we use. We don't have a, uh, we don't, we don't incorporate the other's language and therefore they always perceive us as other. I'll give you one example is showing empathy. This, this would change your, 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 the people on this call, this would change their lives. One example of this, what if the people, the business leaders you work with, what if you, what if you ever asked them, what's a good day for you? Yeah. Can you describe a good day for me? This would be interesting enough. This would change the, the relationship. You are showing not only interest, but empathy. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you right now, that kind of question is almost never asked. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I talk about. There's a whole, there's a whole bunch of steps. There's seven steps to Prince of the, the relevance. Ultimately, I want our organizations and our people to go from other to part of the team. So us. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> and I think too, um, you can see this in all, because our economy is hyper-specialized. Um, so, you know, you can be, you can have a million dollar salary if you figure out how to sell, you know, just this one type of cell phone lens or whatever better than the than your neighbor. And you'll know, you'll know all this types of uh, all the lingo, everything that relates back to selling that one particular type of lens that goes with the uh, the new iPhone. Um, and so it's very easy to just within an organization that's large enough to have a significant support function like HR. It's really easy to you know there's there's degrees devoted to HR um, certification and uh, and recertification, and there's new terms and legal uh, legal mumbo jumbo that, that that HR has to know and has to be fluent in. But the business, you know, the people that you're supporting don't care or understand ninety eight percent of it. And so when you create a presentation like you're presenting to the VP of HR you're probably going to include a lot more stuff in it. Uh, you're not going to bother to translate it or adapt it so much. But when you have to do something in front of, um, you know, the, uh, the head of sales for North America, you better change your, your language and your, uh, your points of focus to be on something that matters more to the head of sales. And I think your question was a great example of, a great way to start having that conversation is, you know, it's almost like a great, it's, it's like one of those start of the relationship uh, questions that relationship advice columnists or something would give, but it's really, and I don't mean to belittle it, but it is about understanding where the other person is coming from. And so that's the, that's the connection there. I have a, I have a, a term I use for this. It's a, it's a challenge because we work so hard on our deep domain expertise. Mm-hmm. We believe the things we do are value because they're hard to do. And so this becomes a challenge. So I call this un- uncovering the dichotomy. Here's mm-hmm. the dichotomy. I would call an I-shaped contribution. I, I would call that deep domain expertise. By the way, you, no matter what you do, right? You can't show up 
if you don't bring some level of expertise that the team needs. Right. The problem is, even though we will spend the majority of our time on that deep domain expertise, all the things we do in human resources, all those things we work really hard on, mm-hmm. and we, we create all these A-B testing, all these analysis, and all these things we do, that, by the way, will never generate you relevance. That's why it's a dichotomy because the things we will mostly do will not be the thing that makes us relevant. A T-shape, the crossbar on top of the eye, is the cross-domain expertise. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Say you're an expert at wireless networking in a, in a healthcare environment. Okay. You're the expert, but you have no desire and you have no, uh, you have no experience of working with EMR systems, such as Cerner, Epic, whatever. Mm-hmm. What would we call that person? We would call them an experienced. It would be no different than that was in resources. If we had all the skills when it came to that, but we could not apply it to the exact situation. So one's theoretical knowledge and one's applied. Nobody perceives you as relevant until you apply the expertise, even though that's the smallest amount of time we will spend in applying it. An example in HR. In HR, you're going to have your deep domain expertise. What are the things that are the crossbar? One is psychology. We're not psychologists, but we need to understand the psychology of human beings. Another one is we need to be communicators. We're not, probably not master communicators, but we need to be able to effectively communicate. Another one is business acumen. We may not be a master in business administration or all the other facets of business, but we need to understand how a business is structured and how it works. That's why I spend a lot of time on that. I spend a lot of time on the business acumen side of the house. And I will tell you that that's, that's what will make you relevant is taking your expertise and applying it to the situation, mm-hmm. which requires a different set of skills. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> I think one of the, uh, there was a great, um, uh, well, we, uh, we published it, so I can say the name of the company. Um, it, it's uh, NCR. Uh, they do, uh, they used to be called National Cash Register, but they create and maintain the technology that's in things like ATMs, airport kiosks, all of those um, point of sale uh, type technologies that you see in retail and other parts of the economy. And they were having a huge problem with uh, technician turnover. And they, uh, the way that their um, HR analytics team approached the problem, and this, was Im- this methodology was actually imposed on them by, I think, a, if not a CEO, at least a very senior business leader who said, okay, if we're going to do this where you guys are going to be sort of essentially internal consultants from HR, there need to be some real targeted questions you need to be asking the business leader before you start working on their problem as an HR expert. And so I can't remember all of them, but it was like, how does this relate to our strategy? Like how does solving this problem relate to growing the bottom line or our expansion into this market or whatever it had to be something specific to tie it back. And, uh, and the, the rest of the questions were all like that. 
And so I think that's, uh, you wouldn't be able to get there without having a uh, having enough business acumen as an HR person to say, okay, it, yeah, I need to, before I start running off on a wild goose chase, I need to start acting like a consultant and saying, okay, may, you say the problem is this, but how does that relate to the, relate to the bigger picture of what we're trying to achieve? How does, you know, is that just a symptom or is that really the disease that we're trying to treat? And that, by the way, is really important because what happens in this reflective model, if we're a support organization, we believe the symptom is the actual issue because we do not maybe have visibility to the root cause issue. And so one of the things that comes from lean is uh, the thing called five, the five whys. And you right. start asking question why until you get to the root cause. It's one of our challenges. One of the, I just this week I spent time, and this is actually in my book, but you need a fundamental framework to be able to diagnose the problem. You need to start with architecture, business architecture, which I do. And I, my, my work is based on the U.S. Department of Defense, and they have a great model for that. Mm -hmm. Then you need to start with business modeling, which is all about planning and understanding. Now, there's a reason why you want to do that. The business model, which I get out of the European-based system, which I've built my own based on theirs, was your goal here is to truly understand the business quickly. But the outcome of that goes directly to what you're talking about. The outcome of that is you now truly understand the risk, the, the corporate risk, the corporate goals, the corporate initiatives that are smart specific, mm -hmm. measurable, attainable, uh, relevant, and, and time-based. And then the projects you're going to work on need to be connected directly to that to those risk goals and initiatives. And I think that a lot of times we lose sight of that. And so that's, and then the, the next thing, which I call solution design, which is taking, I take a, a lean principle called value streaming. And I take, I take a process and then apply what we do, human resources, IT, whatever, to the process. And for the first time, you know exactly your impact on the organization. And that, that, that's the framework I wrote in the book. And it really helps. And you don't have to spend, I do this with large companies, the beginning, the macro level of this. Yeah. I can do this in about four hours. We're talking about the largest companies in the world. I can do it in about four hours. So everybody thinks it takes months, six months, a year. No, you can get a lot done very quickly. I'm a big fan of the, the in lean, they call it Kazen. Is a way they can oh, actually yeah. accomplish a lot in one, three, or five days. And so when I work with clients, I I I'm, I want to get a lot accomplished very quickly, and then we can go further later. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And there's <clears throat> and there's often a lot of once you start getting in there and start focusing in the right areas, you'll often find there's a lot of low hanging fruit usually. Like, well, okay, maybe let's start doing that. Let's stop doing this, you know. Uh, and sometimes it's something silly, like just moving the location of the coffee machine or or whatever. But it's, it's amazing how those kinds of things, um, it, you know, can make a difference. And just as a, uh, a sort of general example, Pat's based in Florida where Disney World is, and uh, every time I go to a Disney property, it's amazing how, just compared to their competitors, and there's a there's a couple that are really good, but I don't ever get the same, uh, even just parking. They've worked that out to a science, so even when it's 
morning on a weekend and everybody wants to get in and get their, you know, get the Star Wars experience or see Mickey or do the character breakfast. It's all managed so tightly because you can tell they've gone through it and say, said like, okay, what's our goal? Get everybody parked and into the park and enjoying themselves. Don't let's not prolong this terrible experience called parking any more than we have to. I don't think you get there until you, I don't think you get to where you're talking about without mm -hmm. visibility. I think that's yes. the critical, the, the critical aspect of planning objectives and solution design is to make sure you get visibility to the problem. You know, Disney's not this out of the blue saying that's the problem. They're actually doing the hard work to figure out maybe that's the problem. And figure right. the most important thing there uh, is this, the, the, this concept of the theory constraint, which means where is our constraint? And let's deal with that because our constraint will continue to move. But if we don't have visibility to constraints, we're going to have a problem with parking's our constraint. Let's deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, by constraint, in some ways, you're talking about like a bottleneck. Correct. Exactly in, in the process. Great. So uh, it, we talked a little bit about uh, techniques and uh, and ideas for someone in in a support function like HR. Um, what's another way you could uh, you would give to somebody who's just looking to get started? You know, they're looking they're looking to do kaizen and get a lot done in one, two, three, five days. Um, what are some advice you could give to somebody that would? change the way they uh, increase their business knowledge vastly tomorrow. Okay. So there's, it's interesting on you know, this concept of this, so much data is available today mm -hmm. and we just don't use it. So let me give you a couple of things. If you're, so these are kind of tricks and um, uh, will help you along really fast. If your company that you work at is a public company in the United States, Mm -hmm. 2002, they've had to comply with Sarnbanks Oxley, right. which thank God is a fantastic thing because there's visibility in the financials. And so if you go to the 10K, you're a 10K and you go, there's only two sections you need to think about. There's no other, nothing else matters for HR people or IT people. There's nothing else that matters. It's section one and section one A. If you read through that the first time you'll understand exactly what your business does holistically Mm -hmm. And you'll understand the risk, of the, the macroeconomic risk facing your company right now. Here's what's interesting. I color code everything, right? So I color code that to me, they're in the architecture. There's three spaces. There's the top box, which is the, the business people, the, yep. the, not the operators of the business, but the, the leaders, they're the strategists. They're green to me. The middle box, which is where most of us spend our time, is the operators. They execute on the vision of the strategists. And then the last one is the tacticians. Their job is to, to, to support the operators. So HR leaders should be in the middle box. The middle box is blue. So green, blue, red. So HR leaders should be blue. Now, maybe some of the people that do the work for them maybe are red. That's fine. But they're blue. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting about that, the green, the only thing that's precise in your company, this is a trick. Only thing that's precise in your company typically at the level that we need to work at. Is, is blue. Green and red are mostly general generalists and they can go across organizations. So say your company is not public. 
you can go to your next largest competitor that is public, and the, the information in Section 1 and Section 1A of their 10K will almost be identical to yours. Because it's looking at the environment and uh, the, the, the environment, the, the, the water that they're swimming in, it takes that temperature. So if you make uh, locomotive engines and in a private organization, you can look at what GE says about that and get the... That caterpillar. Yeah. And so that's, that's the point. So at the end of the day, um, that's, so you guys should read the, um, your section one and section one, a of your 10 K or your next largest competitor that will give you an understanding. Now in my book, I have a filter for you to filter that data. If you have that, that's really useful because you're like, I'm looking for this, this, and this. So you need, you need a filter for the business modeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, another, another thing is, um, sorry about that. Uh, another thing would be um, understanding value. So this is this uh, my the work I use is from Michael Porter. Mm -hmm. And so if you guys know Michael Porter, he's probably the the, the most uh, pronounced business um, strategist in the world today. He works at Harvard. Now he's very hard to understand because <laughs> <laughs> he's an academic. Yeah. But, but the, the dean of the Harvard Business School uh, wrote a book on him called Understanding Porter. So you can read that. Now, um, what Porter does that's really interesting is he talks about this chain. And so I'll give you he an example. A little bit. You example, repeat that again? But we need to really uh, – he talks about a thing called value chaining. Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. okay. So let me use an exa abstract example. In a room of people, I'll ask, who here likes coffee? Every, you know, 60%. Yep. And then I'll say, why do you like coffee? And so in that room, most of the answers will be, it wakes me up. It smells good. It tastes good. It's almost always, almost 99.9% .9 experiential. Yeah. So what, so by the way, experiential is intangible. So when you're trying to deal with value, understand what people want, which is hard for us in support because we work so hard on the tangible. What they want is the intangible experience. So when you're trying to generate value, realize that. It goes directly with Alan, you were talking about Disney. The people, there's all kinds of things that they're doing with parking and roads and all yeah. kinds of things, but that's not what matters. It's the feeling that somebody that's uh, that one of their customers have when they walk in and that's actually the only thing that matters so the intent so the question is how do we take the tangible things we do and impact the intangible things that the only thing that was wanted the experience right and what say getting it understanding the process of your organization would be really helpful. So understand, I guess all the things you do are really important, but it's not what your customer wants. It's the intangible experience that they're looking for. They want to feel like they have the talent they need. They want to feel that. In fact, yeah. the feeling of having the right talent is more is more important than having the right talent. Oh my God, <laughs> but true. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a sort of a perception is reality kind of thing. So hard on the table. experience is the only thing that matters. 
And so that's that's an example. So I'll give you a couple of things. One's financial, read the 10K, section one, section 1A. Another one would be um, understand value, understand what people want as an experience and the tangible things we do have to embed that. And you do that through going through the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. And I really like how you were able to tie that together with sort of the, the Disneyland example of uh, people don't fit. If you ask people what they like or don't like about Disneyland, it's always going to be the, those intangible things. And so when you ask people, say, recruiting, what they do or don't like about recruiting at their organization, and you ask a business leader that, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a lot of feelings based like, well, you know, it always, t- like, I never get the kind of candidate I want, or I feel like, uh, I feel like it takes too long to get a new requisition approved or, or whatever. Um, but it's, 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 you're right that it's much more feelings and perception. Um, and of course, if you can, uh, if you think uh, you'll have to do a bunch in the background, as you say, to of tangible work to give them that feeling or perception, but you're right, but that's the goal. You want it to be that when somebody brings up, hey, what do you think of our new head of talent acquisition? That business leader says, you know, they're great. They understand the business. They, uh, I feel like I never have to wait on getting a good candidate to interview. I never have to, whatever it is. We've been getting, uh, where our turnover on new hires is down. Uh, they're really communicative. They understand what I'm trying to do and they really want to address my concerns. You want those feelings in somebody. And those are what's the most important thing. Those, those are the only thing that matter. And I think that's the problem that we have. We work so hard in the tangible things, not realizing if it doesn't impact the experience, it really doesn't matter what we do. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can do that is through, through having a very good process and injecting your process into theirs. So you're injecting our process into the sales motion of the organization we're in or into the operation of the production or the customer service. We have to inject what we do into the process of the organization we're in. That's, that's what I'm saying. And I spelled that out really clearly. But it's really important to understand. It's hard for me. I'm a very technical person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a CPA. I'm a double C. I mean, I'm one of the highest level engineers in the world, IT engineers in the world. And I'm a black belt in Six Sigma Lean. I'm proud of that. I work really hard on all that crap. Yeah. <laughs> but none of that matters <laughs> if it doesn't impact the experience <laughs> of my customer. Right. And I, it's sort of a, um, it's sort of like that, uh, the the engineers uh, the engineers problem of you know very highly analytical process driven person they're like well why didn't you buy the car it's the best car <laughs> <laughs> you know like we we set out to make the best car and then we did why aren't you people buying it it's like well you didn't. Uh, you didn't. Com- you didn't communicate yeah. that it was the best car. They don't perceive it as the best car. Yeah, agreed. So um, I think we're running to the end of our time here, but I do want to 
make sure that because we've talked a lot about a, a lot of issues and uh, hit on some topics harder, but they're all it's all important, and I want to make sure that people have a way to stay up the up to date with Pat and uh, and what you're working on. So, what's the best way to do that? Well, so we uh, keep a pretty um, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, if you go into the boat, if you uh, go on Google and you just say um, in, in the boat, uh, in the boat, the, you'll find my book is the, the first uh, thing that comes up. Great. So get, get in the boat. And um, so that or LinkedIn, if you guys want to have a more a further conversation, but Twitter, LinkedIn, those are the, probably the best. And then get in the boat um, on, the, on the web. Excellent. Well, Pat, thank you so much for your time. Once again, if you are having a hard time in the audience hiring the right people, make sure to stand, sign up for the staconference.com. That's where we have live and virtual conference passes available, so you can attend from anywhere in the world if you want. And for all ideas related to HR and what we've been talking with Pat here about understanding the business and improving acumen and your, your overall relevance as a leader in your organization, um, we're going to have this, uh, this podcast hosted there at hci.org. Also remember to rate and subscribe to best, uh, to better you. And you can also, if you have a comment, email us at best you, that's B E S T U at hci.org. We might just read it on the next show and please rate us and rate us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts until next time i'm alan mellish